0: Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars.
1: The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Wachs have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee and Waukesha. They're easy to reach, gtwlawyers.com. Welcome to another podcast at sliceoffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers Local 139 and the Madison Teamsters Local 695. Joining us now from the Capital Times and the Nation, John Nichols, as we start recording this podcast at 8 a.m. on Thursday, September 8th. A Waukesha County judge, Michael Aprahanian, I guess is how, how you pronounce it. Uh, he has ruled that clerks such as Scott McDonald or George Christensen can no longer correct errors on people's absentee ballots. This is the outside of the envelope where people don't put a zip code or that type of thing. Uh, John, that is an anti-democratic ruling.
2: That was a fiercely anti-democratic ruling, and and one that really is, I think we should emphasize, anti-Wisconsin as well. It's very out of sync with Wisconsin history and Wisconsin traditions. I know you grew up mostly in the Madison area. I grew up in Union Grove, which, when I was born, was population 970. And in Union Grove, um, I remember going to vote as a 18-year-old, you know, first vote. Women in that case who were the clerks, um, they were they saw it as their job to make sure that you didn't make mistakes, and if you made a mistake, they helped you through it. You know what I mean? There was the whole point was to make it possible to vote, right? To remove the barriers to it, and and at the core of that was the concept is that if you're if you were well intended, right? If it was your intent to cast a vote and you screwed up on something, they would say, Oh, let me show you how to do that right, or let me fix that. And at the end of the day, now that we live in more urban areas, sometimes that may involve, in the outside of an envelope, putting a zip code on it or something like that. But it's the same spirit. It's that same tradition. And these folks are so viscerally partisan, so passionate about achieving a political end, that they're willing to scrap not just democracy, as we know it in our best civics class lessons, but also something that was really
1: good about Wisconsin. Well, they've scrapped a lot of good things about Wisconsin. Yeah,
2: um, it's true. It
1: did they've made perfect. Wisconsin not Wisconsin. Of course, Congressman Mark Pocan, and when he was an assemblyman, uh, coined the phrase, Mississippi, uh, <laughs> or "Fitzwalker stand. He was Fitzwalker stand.
2: So I, I think there were many good phrases. Right. right. But well, Fitzwalker the says,
1: Congressman is unusually clever.
2: So talented.
1: I, I, I want to put this in some perspective though, because I felt, like and i'm sure you disagree with me democrats have made a mistake by i think in some cases playing into this hands of trying to get everybody to vote early or vote absentee yeah,
2: no no i i don't disagree with you
1: on that okay Actually, well good because I, I, I like i i like voting in person i, I respect people's choice <laughs> and how they vote and have to understand their schedule but i fixed it so i could vote in person and two things I find disturbing. I, I started getting a bunch of mailers from national groups saying, hey, hey, wait a minute now. You've got to, you, you can vote, you can vote absentee. Two years, two you, years before election. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I have to tell you the pain I felt while the Wisconsin Supreme Court was deliberating and whether to throw out my vote in, uh, well, yeah, I imagine your vote too. Um, yeah. 200,000 votes plus. Uh, You may remember that at one point Jim Troupas was willing to throw out his own votes votes, so Donald Trump could win. Jim Troupas being Donald Trump's attorney here in Wisconsin.
2: So let me tell you the reason why I'm a little ill at ease with, um, you know, the big emphasis on early voting. A, I don't oppose it. I think that if somebody wants to vote early, I think they should be able to do so. And I think there's – I'm going to give a lot of flexibility there. And I understand – that in some circumstances for people it's absolutely necessary but here's why i vote on election day whenever i can and why i want to vote on election day because i actually think things can change in the well, last week and,
1: and, and, and with alex lazary and sarah godlewski dropping out of the race at the last minute uh, and tom yes. nelson as well i mean yes. i think there's a perfect example now people can spoil their ballots but that's kind of a tricky process
2: well you can think about. Yeah, you can get it. They back. call it
1: a spoil. You deliberate Yeah, I, I re- yeah. The, the,
2: the, the language that we're dealing with here. <laughs> right. Um, but, but no, what I was going to say also is I'll give a classic example. Here's a classic example. In 2011, uh, when Kloppenberg was running against Prosser, um, remember that came down to an incredibly close race. Something mm-hmm. that happened like late in the game, if I recall it correctly was that Pat Lucy, who um, had been, I think, back in Prosser, switched his endorsement. Yes. And you, did. you know, a respected senior figure. And it sort of deconstructed Prosser's so called bipartisan argument, right? Now, I know that's not going to influence everybody, not everybody's sitting around waiting to see what Pat Lucy tells him to do, but might that have had an impact on three, four, five, six thousand people oh,
1: absolutely. In, in a
2: state this thing? I think so. And so that's one of the reasons why I do believe that, that the dynamic of an election day uh, is something that, that we still kind of build toward, right? And, and the energy and the excitement and everything, but also the, the news, the development. So, in that regard, I like the idea of voting on election day. By the same token, here's the thing that we need to separate, right? Where we need to draw the line. What you like or what I like. Is different than what we're talking about with this judge.
1: Oh, absolutely. But
2: this judge, and I know you know that, but I think it's important to emphasize that. I, I just different.
1: wanted to give this context of yeah. why putting all your eggs in people early voting right now is a bad strategic move. I'm not talking about it morally in any way, shape, or form.
2: No, I know you're not. And, but what I'm saying is I think we should emphasize to people, right, that this is what this judge is doing is saying, okay, the rules exist. Right, you can do this, but if you make a mistake, no one can help you, and that's a terrible, terrible mess. That's an awful message, and it's a destructive one. It actually, I think, leaves a lot of Wisconsinites in a very difficult place. And um, you know, the the problem is with our current Supreme Court, the likelihood that you could appeal this and get it set right. Is incredibly slim.
1: Well, you never know when so, Brian, you never know when Justice Hagedorn is going to come through for us.
2: So it, is, it was a possibility. Well, you know, I, I completely respect that, and I favor the appeal. You know, people often will say to me, uh, "Why even bother?" And I'm not in that camp. I would rather try and lose. You know, i trying to upend a bad well, ruling. Well, please send that. Please
1: send that. Mayor a message to Merrick Garland with the Eleventh Circuit. So, yeah, uh, we, we won't venture into that quite yet. So let me let me ask you something else that I am deeply concerned about. I live in Westmoreland, uh, in the near west side of Madison, Mm -hmm. and for years I voted at Midvale School. Well, then there was redistricting, and somehow then I started voting at the Sequoia Branch Library, which they're remodeling. So during Uh the now I voted in person a couple days before the election because I was going to be gone on election day but let me tell you where my polling place was on election day for the August primary West Mo- <coughs> Westmoreland park in a shelter that, that was my polling place. And this is a problem all over the city of Madison because the schools have booted the polling places and right. we have polling places at Warner park where the mallards play baseball, uh, They're all handicapped, accessible, and I know that's not a politically correct phrase anymore, Uh, but uh, a lot of people don't know that, and they get there, and they're not properly marked. I am very concerned about polling locations in Madison for this primary.
2: Well, one of the oldest tricks in politics is to move polling locations right before an election, right? Uh, Political machines do it. You know, they do it in the neighborhoods of folks who might not be voting for the machine. Right? That's that's a that's not a new theory in politics. And so
1: Okay, um, but Michael Bula- that Michael not- is not our mayor right now that's or our, our county executive. I don't think I, I don't think the mayor or I don't think the mayor or the county executive or the clerk are certainly trying to disenfranchise anyone. Um, but, quite the but opposite. It, quite but, the opposite. But, but it, it and, you but know, the drop boxes the are gone.
2: Effect. What's that? But it has the same effect. Yes, it does. Right? Even if they're well-intended. If we understand this in the context that political machines do this to disenfranchise people, right? To make it harder to vote. Uh, and then we say, well, of course, you know, nobody here, that's not their intent. Say, Absolutely, it's not their intent. You still have that same problem. It is harder to vote. And so the, the answer to this is that we ought to draw an absolute line in the sand and say, here is the date certain where you can move a polling place, right? You know, after this point, um, there just has to be, you know, sincere, the most sincere possible effort to keep, keep polling places where they are. And I'll tell you why this is a big deal for us. Let me give you my own experience, because uh, you just gave me yours. year. Um, I have voted for most. Not all of it, but most of uh, the last well, certainly the last twenty years at Lapham School, right, on the Near East Side, and then recently we got switched over to uh, um, uh, Penny Park to the shelter, right, which is actually a nice shelter and it's pretty well set up. But again, some of the concerns for people with disabilities um, it come into play, not as badly, I think, maybe at it's, it's some of the places you were. But then we got switched back, right. Um, so I have, in the last few day, or last few elections, voted, you know, one place, then another place, then another place. And, you know, I'm going to go vote any way I possibly can. I, I'm, I'm going to find a way to do it. But for people who are busy and maybe just, you know, they know it's election day and they, you know, late in the afternoon, early in the evening, they race over to their polling place. Oh, I don't want to forget to vote. And, and the polling place isn't there.
1: Here's, here's right? one. Let me paint a picture for you. An elderly person at a park shelter voting on a windy day with the ballot going across the park. That's I That's mean, not a good picture. No, that's not a good picture.
2: And I, I suspect
1: that fact. in November they will not be at parks. Uh, you know, uh, that, that would be... I
2: hope in, November is a good one. I'm really hoping in February
1: they're not. <laughs> right. Uh, let's move on to the U.S. Senate race because President Biden came to Milwaukee... For a speech. Um, And uh, this has sort of overshadowed everything Uh, locally in the state of Wisconsin, not nationally, but locally. This has been the issue.
0: Tonight, Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes in Green Bay meeting with union leaders and supporters just 24 hours after attending Labor Fest events in Milwaukee, but deciding not to join President Joe Biden on stage. Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who couldn't be here, but... He's going to be your next United States senator, you met with labor workers in Union yesterday. You also did not appear with the president yesterday. Why was that? Well, uh, we had a free packed schedule had to get around the state. I'm really grateful that the president has shown his support for the labor uh, movement here in Wisconsin. Barnes, with a slight lead in recent polls, locked in an incredibly high profile U. S. Senate race looking to defeat Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Johnson's campaign also today in Green Bay outside Barnes's event, a preview of what the the next 60-plus days will look like.
1: Senator Johnson uh, works his tail off and uh, and is somebody that isn't afraid to put in the hard work and, and, quite frankly, isn't afraid to answer tough questions either. Okay, John, what do you make of all this?
2: Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not a controversy. It's going to shift the, the direction of the election, right? It's not going to cause somebody to change their vote one way or the other because somebody did or didn't go to an event. But, um... On balance, I would go. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I was looking the other day at an example from Pennsylvania. Um, and listeners won't know uh, this guy probably, but uh, Matt Cartwright is a congressman from Northeast Pennsylvania. He represents the Scranton, Rokesbury area. Um, Joe Biden's the
1: area Joe Biden grew
2: up in. The area where Joe Biden grew up, but not any area where Joe Biden is 100% popular. Right. Um, it's actually an area where Trump has made real inroads. Uh, and Cartwright got reelected in 2020 as one of these incredibly rare Democrats who um, won relatively mm-hmm. easily in an area where Trump won also. And in fact, Cartwright ran eight points ahead of Trump. So the other day, Joe Biden went up to, uh, uh, I think it was Scranton, I think he was in some kind right. of, he was up in the region. And uh, Matt Cartwright is in a very tough election. He's one of the top Targeted Democrats in the country, uh, and when Biden came, there was Matt Cartwright in the front row, um, and and I think what he understood was, which is a valuable thing, and that is that that in these days we are so divided. It's too bad that we're so divided, but the reality is that somebody's not going to vote for you because you're associated with the president of your party. If the president's an honorable guy like Joe Biden. Um, uh, they also weren't going to vote for you anyway, right? I mean, if that's—the that's, that's uh, the partisanship is to that level. And so Cartwright's clearly trying to get independence and trying to get maybe even a couple responsible Republicans to come across, but um, he wasn't—he didn't skip the event. He went to the event. And I think, you know, I as you know, I like Mandela Barnes, and I have a very a good good feeling toward him. But uh, if I was advising him, I would have told him to go well, uh, and be there. Right. Well. Yeah.
1: There are people that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and Joe Biden in 2020, right? Yep. In Wisconsin. Okay. And well, they're a little older. I, w- I would be willing to bet they're generally more religious, probably Catholic, maybe don't have a college degree. And uh, I tell you what, Joe Biden appears to be on the scent right now rather than falling. He doesn't have any scandals. He did infrastructure. He did the build back better, even though it was scaled back. Um, He has conducted himself in a way that is empathetic and caring. And he's the most pro-labor president we've had in my lifetime. Maybe ever. Okay. Maybe ever. ever. Um, Mandela Barnes ran on being the son of two union workers. And when the president (laughs) comes to (laughs) your hometown... I just, it just seems to me like it is a plus, especially taking the context of the Joe Biden gave one of the most important speeches a president has ever given. It was a Lincoln moment. It's a house divided moment.
2: And to me, uh, this
1: was a missed opportunity for the lieutenant governor.
2: Well, I, I would share some of those views and I will give you one other addition to it. We're talking about it. Right. right now. And so it was media. And um, that, that sort of discussion uh, is, it distracts from, you know, the overall message that a candidate's trying to deliver. So, by the nature, you know, when you make your decisions on what you're going to do, I mean, I'm obviously in the camp that believes that political figures should do the right thing uh, and, you know, take, take whatever hits go with it. But I know it politics is tough and there's a lot of strategy I can just tell you that, that good strategy is to avoid situations where you're being confronted and questioned repeatedly about why you didn't do something. Listen, right?
1: Can I put, can, let's just wrap this up and put a bow on it. I wouldn't have blamed anyone in Wisconsin for not appearing with Hillary Clinton in 2020 or 2016. Wouldn't have blamed them at all because she was a horrible candidate, and, you know, she's a deeply flawed individual. Certainly, I voted for her, but that said, I wouldn't have blamed anyone for not appearing with her. I think this is a different situation. We'll take a break. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation with us at Sly'sOffice.com. We're back at Sly'sOffice.com. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation joining us. Uh, It's brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works. And also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, John, um, we have the Mar-a-Lago situation. And we have President Trump, former President Trump, uh, successfully judge-shopped and got a judge who's going to help him slow this process down. In the meantime, uh, Bill Barr, his former attorney general, who is, uh, oh, what's the word, Brian... Williams used to like to use supplicant. He was very supplicant to the president. Yeah.
2: So, a liper. (laughs) liper.
1: But now, not so much, but it's always with a a twist of bad. Here's Bill Bauer on Fox yesterday.
3: (laughs) The problem I have with the special master is what she's done on what's called executive privilege documents. And she didn't address the only question that's in dispute, which is can the former president have standing to say that the investigators don't even get to look at the documents, the classified documents, that he wrongfully had at Mar-a-Lago? And that's the only question. And she dodges it, and then she says that she's bringing in a special master to look at whether stuff is uh, executive privilege or not. That's not where the dispute Mm -hmm. is. I mean, if the government came today and said, we'll stipulate that everything that's deliberative there, whether it's classified or not, would ordinarily be subject to executive privilege, it begs the question. That's not what the issue is. That's why I think it was that, that opinion was a mistake. So you think it will be appealed or overruled? No, I hope it's I you hope th- it's appealed. you believe it? Yeah.
0: Do you have a view on how it ends?
3: Yeah. I think, you know, as I've said all along. There are two questions: Will the government be able to make out a technical case? Will they have evidence by which that, w- that they could indict somebody on, including him? And I that's the first question and I think they're getting very close to that point frankly Uh, but I think at the end of the day there's another question is do you indict a former president what will that do to the country what kind of precedent will that set Mm -hmm. will the people really understand that this is not you know failing to return a library book that this was serious and so you have to worry about those things and I hope that those kinds of factors will incline the administration not to indict him because I don't want to see him indicted Mm -hmm. as a former president Uh, but I also think they'll be under a lot of pressure
1: to indict him. Yeah, I uh, there's a moment uh, after Richard Nixon uh, resigned and then was pardoned that mm-hmm. Donald Trump, who was very young at the time, he saw that, and of course he had uh-huh. Roy Cohn as a ally, and Roy Cohn, the ally,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. his lawyer, a little more than that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. mentor,
1: mentor. Um, Donald Trump bonded with Richard Nixon. They literally forged a friendship like Donald Trump was attracted to Richard Nixon's behavior. And, you know, we're talking about something that's almost 50 years ago now. And that legacy of of President Ford, who I don't dislike, making the terrible decision to pardon Richard Nixon and not hold him accountable. And I view that moment as having a lot to do with the situation we're in today. Am I wrong?
2: No, you're 100% right. I mean, look, this is a, uh, there's a there's a lot of ways to talk about it. The simplest way is if you imagine that, that Washington actually did chop the cherry tree down, and they used the tree to make a little box of presidential privileges. You know, in Washington's time, it was a very small box, right? <laughs> you know, all sorts of real limits on a president. Today, you know, if you become president of the United States, they drive a, semi-tractor, trailer, truck up to deliver all your privileges, right? You are, you know, so absolved from responsibility on so many levels. And, you know, what we're really talking about is that through precedent, for a longer period of time, have ended up in a situation where presidents are basically treated as imperial, as Arthur Schlesinger Jr. said, or above the law. And um, this is where the problem is. The nixon uh, pardon was wrong. It should not have occurred. He should have been fully impeached, tried in the Senate, held to account even after he resigned, uh, whatever legal uh, action should have been taken. Same true with uh, Iran-Contra under Reagan. Same true with uh, the actions of Bush and Cheney in around, not just the Iraq war, but a host of other uh, things, wrongdoing during their administration. But that didn't happen. It hasn't happened. And so now we have a situation where we actually have a president, former president, I acknowledge, uh, who is clearly accused of incredible wrongdoing. And it's not just the stuff at Mar-a-Lago. It's also, you know, we've got a January 6th commission revealing that he tried to do a coup, right? And yet there's people, uh, and I love a lot of what Barr said there about, you know, you know not, not doing the special master, things like that. But let's go to the court thing. Barr is saying, well, I sure hope they don't, you know, indict a former president. Well, I sure hope they do. I mean... I think that doing so would be uh, one of the most important blows in history against the concept of an imperial president. And look at the message that it would send to current and future presidents, to Joe Biden, who uh, you and I both have a good deal of respect for, but to whoever comes next, that there are just some things you can't do. And if you do, you are no different than any other American you will be held to account for them. That should be our core message as a country. Well, I and, so there.
1: I know you will get a kick out of this. This is the senior senator from Florida, Little Marco in Miami on Sunday.
3: This is really at its core a storage argument that they're making, right? They're arguing there are documents there. They don't deny that he should have access to those documents, but they deny that they were not properly stored. I don't think a fight over storage of documents is worthy of what they've done.
0: Marco Rubio speaking on Sunday, calling it a storage issue, compared that to what Senator Rubio said about Hillary Clinton's handling of classified information. In July of 2016, Rubio released a statement saying, in part, there is simply no excuse for Hillary Clinton's decision to set up a home-cooked email system, which left sensitive and classified national security information vulnerable to theft and exploitation by America's enemies. He went on, Hillary Clinton's actions have sent the worst message to the millions of hardworking federal employees. Who hold security clearances and are expected to go to great lengths to secure sensitive government information and abide by the rules? They don't take their oaths lightly, and we should not expect any less of their leaders," said Marco Rubio. Joe, back in 2016, so you had Jared Kushner the other day calling this a paperwork issue. Marco Rubio oh, saying no. it's just a question of storage; they'll sort this out. You do wonder what is the line? Is there anything that Donald Trump nope. could do that would make
1: them not defend something that they never would defend no, under any other? Maybe if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Um,
2: um, Trump says no. Uh, so we live
1: but- in a we live in a world where Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, and so many others um, have just completely contradicted themselves, and yet that doesn't seem to matter anymore.
2: Well, I do give. Those journalists, uh, credit for pointing it out. There's some importance in simply keeping the record straight. Um, But, yes, for the Republican Party, as I think I've said to you a hundred times, and and will continue to say, it is no longer a uh, political party as we knew it in any sense. It is a cult of personality, and that personality is Donald Trump. He is not just the leader of the party or a dominant figure of the party, he is the definer of the party. And as such, the, the prominent figures in the party, and Marco Rubio, like him or not, is a very prominent figure in the Republican Party. The prominent figures in the Republican Party feel they have a responsibility to um, echo his line, no matter how far you know, afield it goes, no matter how uh, wrong and extreme and crazy it becomes. And so we end up now in a situation where um, you know, we're calling uh, the theft, potential theft of record, Um, the destruction of records. These are crimes. We're calling them storage issues, right? They're not storage issues. In fact, if you look at the statutes, right, they are issues for which, in general, there is a standard that if you violate these standards, you can't continue to hold your uh, federal position. You get fired. You get prosecuted. I mean, this is very, very serious stuff. And uh, I think that Peruvio, as a somewhat independent Republican. And I know that sounds silly now, but but historically he did try to suggest that he actually thought a little about things. Um, This, like Lindsey Graham, is kind of the final stage, right? It's the last stage of saying whatever Trump says goes.
1: One more thing before we go here today. Uh, The chairman of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee the junior senator from florida rick scott has got a problem on his hands listen to this the problem i have with the special no that's that's bill Barr again here we go
0: yeah that's one to watch senator rick scott of florida is defending his role as chairman of the Republican Party's campaign on amid groups. The group burned through a record fundraising haul at a rapid rate. In an interview yesterday, Scott uh, said on Fox News he was asked to respond to new reporting for the New York Times that the National Republican Senatorial Committee has already spent more than 95% of the $180 million it has raised take a listen well we did the right thing we spent early I mean, here's the problem with campaigns if you wait until the last month I mean there's too much static there's too much noise out there so but but Senator, you see a lot of these races that are tightening up um, in florida in in ohio uh, you know and these candidates are are in need of money at this point so some of them flirting. are pointing fingers at your leadership and saying that that it's not working what do you say to them well, let's look at let's look at the numbers. You know, we we're going to keep our we're going to keep our hardest races to keep. Ron Johnson's going to win. We invested with him He's early. He by that about early. five points right now, right? Yeah. So, Ron Johnson's either tied or up a little bit or down barely. <laughs> uh,
1: you know? Did you notice? So that's he, you notice he did not predict a majority.
2: No, I thought that was very interesting, and I also think. Um, you know, he, he, he was struggling on every level there. Um, spending early is smart, right? It is, quote-unquote, the right thing. If you're winning, right, then you say, <laughs> we spent early, and that's why we're in this good position. But If you say, we spent early, um, and then the person, yeah, but you're kind of falling behind. You're down in the polls. There are now five Republican, currently Republican seats that could flip to the Democrats, giving the Democrats one of the better majorities they've had in recent years in um, you know, what's supposed to be a very Republican year, uh, that isn't, you know, spending early to set things up in the right way. That's squandering money. And then the question becomes, what are you squandering money on? Where are you steering that money? And I don't think it's a secret that Rick Scott, as humorous as the concept is, has presidential ambitions. And I just would, if I was investigating, right, I'd open that investigation by looking at the question of who are the vendors that got a lot of that money and how closely are they associated with Rick Scott in his current political iteration and potentially in future campaigns.
1: Well, the, the story I read, I guess it was political, was that his whole idea was to build a small donor base like the Democrats have. You get a right. lot of small, right? Well, first of all, most of the small donor base in the Republican Party, they're giving to Trump. You know, Trump is greedy. Yes. Trump is Trump is taking that for his own purposes. But second of all, learn
2: the lesson of sharing.
1: You know, this summer the money started drying up. It stopped coming in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what? You know, isn't that money supposed to come in now as well? I mean, yeah. was it really? Was it? Yeah, because I guarantee you, people are still giving Laura Kelly and. Uh, who we've really got to help in Kansas because she's got a good shot of winning. I mean, uh, or or Tim Ryan or John Fetterman. They're still getting small donations.
2: Mandela Barnes. Is.
1: Mandela Barnes, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. And so here's the deal. Um, if you got a small donor base and it's operating right, it's like what Bernie Sanders had in 2020 and 2016 especially, which is people gave well, not a lot of money. They would give, you know, 20 bucks, and then, You'd appeal to them and say, hey, you know, we're doing pretty well. Can we get another 20? And they gave it, and can we get another 20? And so it's, you know, it's a steady flow. Uh, where you've got a problem for the Republicans right now, I think this is it. A, um, they have another direction that the small donor money goes. Well, it goes a couple directions. Number one, it may go to Steve Bannon in some sort of scam to try and build a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, or it, it goes to Trump, and Trump uses it for all his political purposes. Uh, so Republicans who are looking for small donations, they're down the ladder. But there's another thing too. On your mid-sized and higher-level donations, the money that maybe somebody gives a check for two hundred and fifty dollars or five hundred or something like that. These are you know donors who've got some money and they give on a often pretty regular basis. A lot of those folks are real your traditional main street Republicans, right? And I have to believe they're looking at who's been nominated: JD Vance,
1: Herschel and, Walker.
2: Uh, <laughs> Dr. Oz, and I think they're saying, you know what, I'm not sure. I, I might give if I thought they could win, but, you know, I'm actually not sure Dr. Oz can win. I'm not sure Herschel Walker can. pretty concerned about J.D. Vance, who seems to have disappeared off the campaign trail, at least in some people's years.
1: Masterson um, in Arizona is a disaster.
2: Right. So, you know, you suddenly you're in this situation where I think um, if you're, you know, again, a Main Street Republican, often in business, and you're sort of like, well, is this a smart investment? Is this, you know, I'm going to put my money on this. And I think that that you're getting, and this is not all on Rick Scott, but I think you're getting sort of some of the the evidence of the damage that Donald Trump has done to this party by imposing his nominees well, across the country, particularly in Senate races.
1: In, in summation today, I want you uh, because I know you're a religious man, a spiritual man. I, am. I want you to say a prayer. Because I'm going to, I'm going to go to Mass today and say a prayer that we can heal the fray between Rick Scott and Mitch McConnell. You know, I feel just horribly that they're fighting right now. What a, what a sad thing. So, well,
2: you uh, want, keep you want that in your heart.
1: Thoughts and prayers, please.
2: And you want everyone to get along. I do. And I'm going to take that as absolutely as seriously as the thoughts and prayers that many Republicans give after horrible incidents in this country. Um, but I, as you do, as you say correctly, I am, you know, a believer and I believe in, in reconciliation. And I would hope that, that Rick Scott and, uh, Mitch McConnell have a chance to reconcile and get on well with one another, uh, when they are in the Senate minority.
1: John Nichols from the Capitol times and the nation. Thanks for coming to Sly's office
2: slidesoffice.com
1: thanks a million bye bye